Good morning. Thank you for being here at uh, TLFC this Sunday morning. Um, that video was made by our deaconesses this last week. Uh, they came up with over 50 ways for you to encourage each other this, this uh, summer. So we highly encourage you to do some of those items up there. Um, I liked all those except for the uh, let someone win. I didn't like that one as much, but that's okay. Um, a couple of announcements. Today is Communion Sunday. If you didn't grab a communion at the back on your way in, please, uh, please grab one. Um, we are also looking for a couple of people to um, a couple of people to uh, fill some volunteer positions that we have. Um, we are looking for some ushers. We are looking for um, a web host who's w- willing to uh, host some stuff on our Facebook. Um, and a couple other positions. So if you are looking for a way to serve or um, just want more information, please don't hesitate to talk to a board member, me, Pastor Tim, um, or call the church office. And uh, with that, I am turning it over to you. Me. <laughs> All right, we're going to stand and worship. Um, I just kind of want to explain to people who are watching from home, we do have seating outside. You guys can't see it, but there are people sitting outside that are in the nice sunshine in the Northwoods this morning. And we do have seating downstairs. So those are all options too for people who want to kind of stay a little bit more separate from everybody. So let's stand. We're going to just open up and sing and help me out as much as you can. I know we all have masks on and we're kind of, it's different than anything we've ever done, but let's sing as much as we can this morning.
Good morning. Uh, for those of you who are visiting or may not be familiar here or watching online, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're just glad you're joining us, um, whether you're here in person or you're joining us through the internet. We're glad. We're glad you're here. So normally this would be the time of the service where we would you know, pass plate to take our offering as an opportunity to give back to God what He is so freely given to us. Obviously in this season we're not passing plates and so there's a few ways you can give. You can give online um, through a church website. You can give by uh, texting the number you can find on the website. You can also uh, mail a check to the church or on your way out there is there are plates in the back. Uh, one thing to note, this week is also Communion Sunday, which means uh, we, on Communion Sunday we take our benevolence offering. Right? It's a way to just an offering to forgiving to those specifically in need in the community and in our church family. And so on your way out today, there will be a board member at the back door holding a plate. So the plate he's holding will be for benevolence giving. The plate that's sitting on the table in the back is for general giving. Um, and if you're you're visiting with us, please understand that we're not looking for your money. We're not asking you to give. If you're visiting or coming for one of your first times. This is a chance for us, as uh, the people God has called to this place in this season, to give back to God what He has freely given to us. With that let's let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for the chance to gather here, whether that in person, in this place, or it's together with other people online. Um, we just thank you for the means you've given us to gather, even in the midst of a challenging season of, of pandemic and of navigating what this looks like for all of us. I pray that you would you give us discernment, you give us wisdom as we navigate path forward for each of us through these challenging times. I pray that you give us love for one another, even when we disagree on the best path forward, um, as different places are making decisions, as our schools are making decisions, as churches make decisions, as businesses make decisions. I pray that you give all the people involved wisdom to know what is best, what is most glorifying to you um, in the midst of this pandemic. Yeah, I pray too just for ongoing unrest and racial tensions throughout our country and throughout the world that you would you would bring a spirit of reconciliation on both sides, that you would work in mighty and powerful ways to advance your kingdom even in the midst of strife and difficulty that the church would have various ways, various means of being light in the midst of dark and challenging times. Um, and we would yeah, be a powerful voice for justice and for reconciliation and for loving one another. Yeah, as we, we gather this morning to prepare to sing, that you would fill our hearts with an overwhelming sense of what a great God you are, what a great Savior Jesus is, that we would not go through the motion, but that we would be amazed by how great you are and that we would sing in response to that, that we would just feel drawn to you. We pray for the people in our church who are, who are struggling with sickness and illness, that you would be with them, you bring comfort where it's needed, that you bring peace where it's needed, that you bring healing where it's your will. We pray for those around the world who are far less fortunate circumstances than us, that you would you would work in mighty ways, you would show yourself mighty, especially for missionaries who are serving in those areas, that you would bring means of kingdom advancement through missionaries, that people would come to know you through the work that missionaries are doing throughout the world. Um, and you just meet needs and show your name to be great. Um, through the way your people rise up to meet the needs of um, people in need throughout the world. God, pray that you be glorified this morning in all that takes place here. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
Eric, ask you to stand again. We're just going to kind of hover here and worship a little bit and you know, really spend some time praising God. This song we're going to sing is How Great Is Our God. And just think about that. Regardless of where we're at and the things going on, we get to sing that. We get to sing How Great Is Our God. And I think that is just like this beautiful, wonderful testimony, you know. Life is not normal right now. It's hard and there's a lot going on, but our God is great. So let's just stand and sing this song. You know, just another beautiful song talking about why why are we here, you know, and what are we doing? We're here, we're here to worship God.
that we can come before the God who is holy, holy, holy. And we can sing your praise and we can hear your word which you so graciously revealed to us. God, help us to stand in awe of you and your holiness this morning. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. And as Ian mentioned, I get you walk in a little bit later. Like we're going to take communion together at the end of this service, and so there are kind of elements in a individually wrapped cup in the back. And so if you didn't grab those, feel free to sneak out at some point during the sermon. I won't judge you too bad. You have to sneak out um, and grab those, and we'll take those together towards the end of the sermon. Um, so we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4 this morning. So if you want to turn there, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to do that. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen as well. And so the blue streak cleaner fish is a fish that lives in the coral reefs in the Pacific and Indian Oceans. And as its name suggests, like one thing that it does well is that it cleans like in particular, this fish survives by eating parasites off of other fish. Again, the way this all plays out, I think it's really quite fascinating. And so these, these cleaner fish hang out at what scientists call cleaner stations. And when a, another fish feels the need to be cleaned, they, they approach one of these cleaner stations. And scientists call the fish that need to be cleaned like clients. That's the word they use. And so the cleaner fish, right, so the, the client would swim up to the cleaner station and the cleaner fish would welcome the client by performing this, what the article I read called a dance. Like, I don't know what dancing looks like in the fish world, but that's what the article said, right? So they would swim in this distinctive way. So they would identify themselves as a cleaner fish to the client. And once the client was satisfied that the cleaner fish was genuinely a cleaner fish, they would assume this like, distinctive posture that says, I'm ready to be cleaned. And again, again, I don't know what a distinctive posture looks like in a fish world, but that's what it said. And so like, when I was teaching fifth grade, and I had to be mean and make kids learn word for tests, right, we would call that mutualism. Right? Like that relationship we call mutualism because it's benef- mutually beneficial to both parties. And if I just stopped right there, we could be like, could think, ah, isn't that nice? Isn't nature beautiful? Like, that would have fit well in last week's sermon about loving one another. Like, oh, little fish are loving each other well, taking care of each other. Oh, so sweet. But that's not where this story ends. And in fact, like the blue streak cleaner fish is not even the fish that I'm really interested in. The fish I want to talk about it's actually called the saber-tooth baleni, which is also known as the false cleaner fish. The false cleaner fish looks just like the blue streak cleaner, and it's capable of mimicking the dance that the blue streak cleaner does to like, tell clients that it's legit. And so right, the, the false cleaner fish does this dance, and it like, evolves the, the client into a false sense of security. But there's just one small difference, right? and that is that the false cleaner fish has no interest in eating parasites off of these clients. Instead, the false cleaner fish uses its false sense of security to you know, lure the client into a you know, non-aware state. And then it takes advantage of the false sense of, false sense of security by taking a bite out of the fin of the client fish, and then it just takes off. So it's imitating the blue street cleaner to take advantage of other fish. But here's what I find truly amazing. That like most successful attacks by false cleaner fish take place against juvenile client fish. Like scientists believe that as client fish reach maturity, they're able to spot the differences between the blue street cleaner and the false cleaner fish. And they know how to avoid the false cleaner fish. As they grow, they learn to differentiate between things that are helpful and things that are harmful, like even when they look very similar. And what we see in our passage this morning is that 
we as Christians need to do the same thing. We must learn to differentiate between the Spirit of God and what John calls the Spirit of the Antichrist. And sometimes they can look very similar. But one of them is out to harm us, while the other is out to help us. So we must learn, we must learn how to tell them apart and make sure we submit ourselves to the Spirit of God. So we're in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 this morning. This is what it says. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God, and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Right. So if we could boil down what John is saying in this passage, right, you know, like one sentence, it would be something like this. Right. Test the spirits by testing their authority, their audience, and their acknowledgments. Right. Just as client fish need to learn to differentiate between genuine cleaner fish and false cleaner fish, we too must learn to differentiate between people who genuinely follow God and those who falsely claim to speak for him. And so in the rest of our time together this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to just break down that summary sentence into four parts. First, I want to consider what it means to test the spirits. What exactly does John mean by this phrase, test the spirits? Who or what are these spirits? What does it mean to test them? So we'll try to answer those questions. And then once we've considered that, we'll look at three ways that John says we can go about testing the spirits. So with that in mind, let's start by considering what it means to test the spirits. In verse 1 of what we read this morning, John said this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. If we're going to understand this passage, if we're going to understand what it means to really test the spirit, we need to answer two questions. First, what does John mean by spirits? And then second, what does it mean to test something? So first, let's think about what what does John mean here by by spirit? And like to really begin to answer that question, we have to go back one verse. To the end of chapter 3, right, John said this. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Right, so in that verse, John telling us that those who believe in Jesus receive the Holy Spirit. And they have the Holy Spirit and it comes and lives in them. The Holy Spirit that helps them to live a life that glorifies God and is obedient to God. The Holy Spirit is God living in us. He's serving as an unseen influence that guides our speech and our actions. But now, apparently, John said there are false teachers arising in John's church that are falsely claiming to be speaking for God through the Holy Spirit. That's why John called them false prophets. A prophet is someone who served as the mouthpiece for a spirit. But these are false prophets that aren't truly speaking for God. They're speaking for some false authority. They claim to have authority from God, but they don't. They claim that their speech and their actions are guided by the Holy Spirit, but they aren't. They are guided by other spiritual influences. Now, these aren't necessarily like demonic influences, but Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, calls like, called it the spirit of the world. They're just guided by this, the spirit of the world that urges them to live in accord 
with the values of the world. And so when John says, test the spirits, right? by spirit, like in this context, like John is talking about unseen influences that impact a person's speech and actions. Right? One writer called these spirits the, the activating impulse of human behavior. So John says, like, you need to test people to see whether they're influenced, whether they're activated by the Spirit of God or by the Spirit of the world. Well, that leads us to the second question. What does it mean to test the spirits? Like, how do we test them? And the word test, right, it carries this idea of putting something to the test to discover, discover whether it's genuine. So the most obvious way we do this in our day-to-day lives is like, we don't blindly accept any teaching from any random person. Right? Rather, we like, want to test what they have to say to see whether it's genuinely from the Spirit. And we're fairly good at this. Right? Or if someone we know nothing about shows up and starts spreading ideas, most of us are pretty good at being rightly skeptical of that person until we're able to test what they have to say. Right? But I think there's there's two implications of this idea of testing that we're not so good at. Or there are this. Right? To test the spirits means both not blindly accepting teaching just because we usually agree with someone and not blindly rejecting teaching just because we usually disagree with someone. Right? So first, we shouldn't blindly accept the word of someone just because we usually agree with them. So one of the adjustments I've had to make since coming here almost two months ago and preaching every Sunday is that like, I no longer like, sit and listen to a sermon every Sunday morning. Right? I'm up here. And so, like, but I really value the rhythm of hearing God's word preached. Right? And so like, I could go to our website on Monday and like, watch myself preach, but I'm like, not quite that self-obsessed. Right? And remind that like, my own voice just makes me cringe. And so like, like when I was here for my candidating weekend, I had to watch with people my candidating sermon. It was like one of the more uncomfortable experiences of my life. It's just not fun. So like, I go to other places to find sermons to listen to. And I have certain pastors who I trust, who I enjoy listening to, and I respect. And so like, when I listen to their sermons, it can be tempting sometimes to just like turn off the critical thinking part of my brain. It's just like, I trust these guys. I'm just going to assume what they say is true. But if I do that, like I'm failing to test what they have to say. Like no matter how much I trust them, no matter how many times I've agreed with them in the past, the men uttering those statements are sinful, fallible humans. And the words they say, if they preach God's word, should be tested. And no matter how inclined we are to believe someone, we should still test what they have to say. That doesn't mean we're like hypercritical. It doesn't mean we go looking for every tiny little mistake in their thinking and make a huge deal out of it. But we should be testing them to make sure that what they say is in line with the truth. But speaking of being hypercritical, testing also doesn't mean just blindly rejecting someone, something, just because the person who said it we usually disagree with. If we assume something is false before we even consider it, just because of who made the statement, that's another way of failing to do any testing. Like No one group has everything figured out. No one tribe has all the right answers to every question. So we're here, we're in a more kind of informal, evangelical, Protestant church gathered together. Like This is what we're familiar with, comfortable with. But we have, we have things we can learn about knowing God and worshiping God from, from Anglicans and from Catholics and from Lutherans and from Presbyterians. And if we dismiss what all that is to tell us about worshiping God and knowing God just out of hand, right, then we're failing to test it. Right? And certainly, like some or many of the things that they tell us should be rejected. Right? But they still deserve to be tested first. So John has, you know, kind of spiritual matter primarily in view here in this letter. But I think we can apply what he has to say about testing to, to more areas of life as well. 
Like, a person can have a right opinion about football every once in a while, even if they're a Bears fan. Or, like, more seriously, a person's political affiliation doesn't guarantee that they're always right or always wrong. The source of a news report doesn't guarantee that it's always right or always wrong. In all cases, the claim needs to be tested. Please don't blindly accept or reject information just because of its source. Do the work and test the claims. But while the exhortation to test can certainly be applied to more than just spiritual matters, ultimately spiritual matters are what John has mostly in view. And so now that we have a sense of what John means by test the spirits, we need to ask the question, how? What are the tests that we should apply to test these spirits? And as we said, John gives us three such tests. And we're going to go a little bit out of order from the order that the tests appear in the passage, but I think it'll make sense in a second why we're going to go out of order. And so the first test I want to talk about is found in, in verse 6, at the end of this passage, when John tells his reader to test the spirits by testing their authority. That is to say, like, test how they know the things that they claim to know. In verse 6, John says, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. And the first time I read this, I thought, like, wow, like, that is a bold statement. Right? You could almost call it like arrogant, John. Like, John is saying, like, if you know God, you will listen to me. And if you don't listen to me, then you don't know God. He's saying, like, trust me at your authority on spiritual matters. Right? Like, and the first time I read that, I thought, like, that's the stuff cults are made out of. Right? Like, that's the sound, those are the words of a cult leader, right? not the words of a humble servant of Jesus. Right? But then, really, I like, you have to remember just how new Christianity was at the time that John writes this. We, in our day and age, have the advantage of millennia of church history, like in which faithful theologians have been thinking carefully about the things of God and writing creeds that reflect the truth of who God is. But John's audience didn't have that. Everything was new to them. They were still trying to figure things out. And like those theologians who write our creeds and tell us things about God, like, where do they learn things about Jesus? They study it in the Bible, and in particular in the New Testament. But John's audience doesn't even have the New Testament, other than the fact that this very letter that John is writing to them will eventually become part of the New Testament. John's, John's audience's knowledge of who Jesus was and what he taught depended almost entirely on word-of-mouth accounts from people who had seen him and heard him teach and who had more first-hand experience of Jesus than the apostles, of which John was one. Those men who walked with Jesus day after day, week after week, month after month, for almost all three years of Jesus' ministry. These men knew Jesus intimately. No one was more equipped to to, to relate to others what Jesus did and what he taught. And in fact, like when the early church was figuring out what books of the Bible should be in the New Testament, one of their requirements was that it was either written by an apostle or someone closely connected to one of the apostles. And John wasn't just any apostle. He was one of three, along with Peter and James, who made up Jesus' inner circle. Like, like who had experienced even more of Jesus' life than most of the other apostles. It was Peter and James and John who were with Jesus at the transfiguration. Only Peter, James, and John were with him when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. It was Peter, James, and John who Jesus brings with him to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Few people experienced more of Jesus' earthly life and teaching than John. So when he says, whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us, he had good reason to claim that authority. And we still rely on that authority today. Every time we go to the Bible to learn about God, 
We're trusting the same authority that Jesus, that John is telling his reader to trust. Right? We're trusting the authority of the Holy Spirit-inspired words of the apostles. And one of the most important ways to test whether something is from God is to examine the claim against what is revealed in the Bible. The Holy Spirit worked through those authors to reveal God's word to us. The Bible is God's primary way of revealing himself to us today. And any claims should be tested against what it has to say. I stand up here and I work hard each week and try to faithfully communicate what God is saying in the passage each week. But by no means should you blindly just trust me. Like, I will make mistakes at times. Like, I will miss things at times as I preach God's Word. And so I hope, like, as you listen to the sermon, like, you do it with your Bibles open. Right? That you look to see like, what I'm saying truly come from the passage, and it's not just my own thoughts. Right? So that's one reason I send out that prepare email each week. Right? I want you to have the opportunity to look at the passage before we get together on Sunday morning to familiarize yourself with it so you can test what I have to say against the Bible. Right? Like all that we do here, right? my word, the word that we sing, like, should be tested against the authority of Scripture. Right? And any teacher who is making claims not found in the Bible like, should be rejected. That brings us to the second way that John tells us to test the spirits, right? and that is by testing their audience. Right? So this test is a little harder to pin down. It's a little more nebulous than the previous one. But in verse 5, John says, They are from the world, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. Right? John says that one way to tell whether a teacher is from God or from the world is to look at who is attracted to their teaching. If their audience is full of people who are more concerned with things of the world than the things of God, right, then chances are that they are a false teacher. Right? And so if you like, find yourself intrigued by something that someone is teaching about God, right, but then you look around and you see that their audience is more concerned about being happy and healthy and wealthy in this life than they are with honoring God, right? that's a strong indication that that teacher is a false teacher, a false spirit. The Bible warns us over and over again that these false teachers are out there. In 2 Timothy 4.3, Paul writes, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. To say what their itching ears want to hear. Just a great description of what so many false teachers do. That they tell us what we want to hear under the guise of telling us what God has to say. I love what one commentator said about these false teachers. The commentator wrote, These false teachers listen to the world and speak back to the world its own message, varnished in Christian terms. Many so called pastors have had very successful, very prosperous careers, speaking back to the world its own message, varnished in Christian terms. And nowhere is that more prevalent today than in churches that preach the prosperity gospel. They preach that God wants you to have riches and happiness and wealth right now in this life. If you only have enough faith in Him, and you'll demonstrate that faith by giving to their church. He'll be, happy to hand, he'll be happy to grant you all the wealth and happiness and health you could want. God wants you, they say, in the words of one of these prosperity pastors, to live your best life now. But God's concern is not that we are happy and healthy and living our best life right now in this life. We are made to honor Him and to praise Him and bring Him glory, not just in this life, but in all eternity. But the world doesn't want to hear that message. So instead, they follow out their teachers who will speak back their own message varnished in Christian terms. So as we test the spirits to see whether they're genuine, we test their audience. And if the audience doesn't look much different than the world, 
then chances are the teacher isn't much different than the world either. And so John tells his readers to test the Spirit by testing their authority. Are they appealing to the Holy and Spirit-inspired word of the Apostle? He tells them to attest their audience. Does their audience love God or love the world? And finally, he tells them to test their acknowledgments. That is to say, like, to test and see whether they acknowledge that Jesus really is who he claims to be. In verses 2 and 3, John writes this. This is how we can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. We test the spirits by acknowledging, we test the spirit by testing whether they acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. By acknowledging that Jesus Christ has come, acknowledging that Jesus Christ has come means more than just acknowledging that Jesus was a man who was born and lived on earth. Like, for notice one thing, this verse does not say every spirit that acknowledges Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. It says, Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And that title, Christ, attached to Jesus, is a statement about who he is and what he came to achieve. Christ means anointed. So to acknowledge Jesus as the Christ means to acknowledge that he has been anointed by God to carry out his mission of saving people from their sins and to reign as king over the universe forever. And additionally, in verse 4, the NIV says, But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. But in, but in the Greek there, right, there's an article in front of Jesus, so that it could read, right, Every spirit that, that does not acknowledge the Jesus is not from God. Right? To acknowledge Jesus is not simply to acknowledge that a man named Jesus existed but to acknowledge that the Jesus existed and that everything he claimed about himself is true. And so, like, one way, I'd say the most important way that we test the spirits is to ask the question, like, what do they say about Jesus? What do they acknowledge is true about who Jesus is? Do they just acknowledge that Jesus was a good teacher and a good moral example? Do they portray him as some benevolent deity who just wants you to be happy and healthy in this life and is unconcerned about your sin? Because that, if that's who they acknowledge, right, then they are not acknowledging the Jesus. The Jesus was anointed by God the Father. He came to earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And because the Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, like, he didn't deserve punishment. Like, he didn't deserve death. You know, he freely submitted himself to death on the cross in order to pay the penalty for our sins. Because of our sins, like we do deserve eternal punishment and death. Like, but through faith in Jesus, like God treats us like we live the sinless life that Jesus lived. And on, and on the cross, God treated Jesus like he lived the sinful life that we lived. The Jesus endured the punishment for your sins so that you could have eternal life. That is the Jesus that the true spirits will acknowledge. And when we place our faith in that Jesus, God comes and he lives in us through the one true spirit, the Holy Spirit. And because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we can be confident that we have overcome the false teachers. In verse 4, John writes, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. But the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. It should be a great encouragement to us to know that when we follow Jesus, we are following the one who is greater than the one who is in the world. But we also shouldn't pretend that the world doesn't have its appeals. It's no coincidence that the prosperity gospel preachers who promise health and wealth and happiness are so popular. It's an appealing message. And so we need regular and tangible reminders that the one we follow is greater than the world. The one we follow is more worthy of our love and devotion and obedience than the things of the world. 
And thankfully, that kind of reminder is what God gives us in communion. He gives us a way to remind ourselves of how much greater he is than the things of the world. So as we we eat the bread, we're reminded that God loved us enough to send his anointed one. That his body was broken on the cross for our forgiveness of sins. And as we drink the juice, like we're reminded that Jesus shed his blood on the cross for us. Also that our sins could be forgiven and we could have eternal life that is far greater than anything that this world can offer. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you've given us the means to be able to differentiate between true spirits and false spirits. That you, through the Holy Spirit living in us, make us aware of what is truly from you and what is from the world. We thank you that through the Holy Spirit living in us, we have already overcome the world and we follow you who is greater than the world. And God, as we prepare to take this communion together, we, we thank you for the tangible reminder that even though the world has its appeal, that the world has things that draw us to it, that you are far greater, that you came and you died to overcome the world, to overcome sin and to overcome death and to remind us that following you is far greater than following the world. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to grab your, grab your cup, give you a second, you can peel off the top layer, get your wafer ready. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance. Trust you.
And as we prepare to head back out into the world with all its temporary appeal and its false spirits, may the God who has overcome the world fill you with discernment to test the spirits and the conviction to obediently follow the spirit of truth. You're dismissed. Go in peace.